bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Tonight, we want to discuss the evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. In other words, how do I know that I have been baptized with the Holy Spirit? What is the evidence that a person has indeed been baptized with the Holy Spirit? But before we commence, let's do a brief recap on what we discussed. We looked at two things basically, the influence of the Holy Spirit on the believer and the individual who can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When we talked about the influence of the Holy Spirit, we noted that there are two ways by which the Holy Spirit influences the believer. There's an influence from above or a coming upon, and there's an influence from within a coming into. We said the coming upon is the Holy Spirit baptism, and the coming of the Holy Spirit within the individual is what we call sanctification. So we have Holy Spirit baptism and we have sanctification, and they are not to be confused. There's a coming upon and there's a coming within. We use the illustration of a person who is swimming in water and the same person drinking water. Even though water is a common denominator, as it were, there are two different things. In the first instance, he's swimming. The water is around him. So the water, can say the water is upon him or around him, but not within him. Then when he's drinking the water, the water is within him. The water that comes upon or surrounds him cools his exterior, calms him down, and so on and so forth. The one that he drinks quenches his thirst. So in the same way, when the Holy Spirit comes upon, he performs certain functions on the believer. When he comes within, he performs certain functions within the believer. All the things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer are his influence upon the believer. And so we said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer, he empowers the believer for divine service. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it is so that you can serve. When it comes within you, it is so that he can empower you to become like Christ. So one is to for divine service, the other is to become like Christ. In coming upon you, he energizes you to do the will of God. When he comes within, he enables you to be willing to do the will of God. There are two different things. You may be energized to do the will of God, but you are unwilling to do it. Now, the Holy Spirit does not compel anybody to do anything. So, when he comes, he comes with the intention that you will voluntarily surrender yourself for him to use in doing the will of God. Which means that the work of sanctification must have taken place in order that you are able to obey. Because sanctification brings us to the place of obedience to the word of God. When the Spirit of God comes upon us, the external influence, he enables us to perform miracles, signs, and wonders, and many other things that we ordinarily would not be able to do so that we can bring to pass the will of God. When the Holy Spirit is within us, he transforms us, bringing us into conformity with Christ so that we are like Christ in character, in nature. The coming upon of the Holy Spirit occurs after a person has been born again, after the person has been saved, and while he is being sanctified. The coming within, which is sanctification, occurs at salvation. When you are born again, the Spirit of God comes within you and begins to do the work of sanctification, of preparation, of purging, of perfecting, making you ready for divine service. In other words, you're able to obey God, you have the nature of God, and then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are now able to serve. So the Holy Spirit does not come upon you until after you have been saved and whilst you are being sanctified. The coming upon of the Spirit of God 
can be likened to a call to service. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, He's saying to you, it is time to serve God. Whereas the coming into of the Holy Spirit is a call to live like Christ. Which means at salvation, you are brought into a living like Christ, a living for Christ. And then we spoke about the individual who is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We noted three things about this individual. Number one, he must be born again, like we noted. Secondly, there must be a desire for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, you ask God for it. In some cases, you don't even ask. The desire is as good as asking. And that desire is seen by God and the Holy Spirit is given. A thirdly and very crucial, the individual to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is totally surrendered to Christ, holding nothing back. Let's proceed now to discuss what we want to talk about in this broadcast. And that is the evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. The evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. I'll begin by reading Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse say 15 or 16 thereabout. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them, the disciples, speaking in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we are born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice, and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day or 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Let's just stop there. I'll advise you to read this sermon of Peter later. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, there were certain things that were observed, what we could call today the evidence of the Holy Spirit baptism. But as we go along, we will find that the evidence seemed to have been limited to a few things that we were going to draw out here, and not everything. And that's because there was a purpose to it. The first thing we observe is that there was a sound from heaven. It's like the sound of a siren or the sound of a whirlwind. The Bible says it was like the sound of a mighty rushing wind that filled the whole place. The second thing we observe is that there appeared divided tongues as though of fire that sat on each one's head. The third thing that we observe here is that they spoke with other tongues, tongues which they had never before learned. Yet, these tongues, even though they didn't understand it, the onlookers who had gathered as a result of the sound from heaven were able to understand what they were saying in their own native languages. 
But the people who were speaking these tongues did not understand what they were saying. Another thing that we note that happened after this was the boldness of Peter and the others when they stood up. Don't forget, these were people who were being hunted for by the Pharisees because they were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and they wanted to kill them. But suddenly here is Peter standing along with the 11 others and beginning to speak. And of course, I told you to read the rest of the sermon of Peter on that day. It was an unprepared, unrehearsed, unwritten sermon that Peter gave. So we find the sound, we find the sign, the cloven tongues, we find speaking with tongues of men, various nationalities involved. We find the boldness of Peter and we find him preaching a sermon that he never prepared, never rehearsed for. If we look further, we will discover as we go ahead that in most other instances, especially the first two, are missing. We don't hear the sound from heaven. There was a purpose to the sound on this particular day. You will recall that the Lord had told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power. Now, something was happening in Jerusalem at this time. Usually, after the Passover, which was when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, there was a 50-day period after the Passover. And during that 50-day period, a lot of people who had come from around the world, Jews and proselytes who had come from around the world, do not usually return. They stayed in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, which was the 50th day and the day of the first fruits under the old covenant, a lot of Jews, both who remained and those who had returned home, will come back again. So Jerusalem was awash with Judaists who had come from all over the nations of the world where Jews lived and all over the nations were where they had Gentiles who had become Jews as a result of having been circumcised and worshipping under Judaism. So all these people were gathered. Now, if this event had taken place quietly in the upper room, it would never have drawn anybody's attention. So the sound from heaven was like a siren or an alarm or a trumpet, a sound that would attract people to where the disciples had gathered in the upper room. Don't forget, the upper room was to them a hiding place, a place where they could quietly do what they were doing. Now, this sound had attracted people. And then within the upper room, the disciples themselves, the 120 of them who were gathered, looking at other people, Notice that there were divided tongues as of fire on each one's head. And the other person would look and say, oh, but what you're describing is on my head, is on your head. So each one had these divided tongues on their head. And then each one began to speak in a language that they could not understand. None of the 120 understood what they were saying. But they just found themselves speaking in tongues. The Bible says, as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. It was when these multitude who had come from the different nations came to that place that they began to hear people speaking their own language and prophesying and speaking of the glorious, wonderful things that God had done. And they marveled and were amazed and said, wait a minute, these are Galileans. How come they're able to speak our language? We are hearing them, each one, even the Arabs, the Romans. They were hearing them speak distinctly in their native tongues. Then there was the boldness of Peter. And then the unprepared sermon that he preached. Let me read one or two other verses of scripture. And then we'll be able to see what was missing in these other instances when the Holy Spirit came upon some people. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, reading through to 47. This was when Cornelius had invited Peter to come over to his home. That God had sent for Peter and that Peter was going to tell him some things. So... When Peter came in, Peter said some things, but let's take it from verse 44. The Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision 
who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them. This was how they knew that the gift had been poured. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? What was happening was Holy Spirit baptism had taken place and they were speaking in tongues. But you would note that there was no sound from heaven. They did not see divided tongues as of fire on the heads of these people. But they heard them speaking in tongues. Now, they didn't understand what these people were saying possibly. But they knew they were saying something similar to what they had heard in Acts chapter 2. And probably in other places where people had been prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. But here it is documented explicitly that they spoke with other tongues. I believe in chapter 11, it is further elaborated, but we're not going to read that. Now let's go to Acts chapter 19 and we read verse 1 to 6. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit now, something must have triggered this question. The Bible does not tell us explicitly, but there must have been something that Paul observed. And it was as though, are you sure these people who are called disciples? Because that's what they call them. Don't forget the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 11 verse 26 that it was in Antioch, Syrian Antioch, that the disciples were first called Christians. So they were known as disciples in those days, not Christians. The popular terminology for believers were disciples. It is today that the popular terminology is Christian. So he found some people who claim to be Christians. But he must have observed certain things or did not observe certain things that made him ask the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And thank God he asked the question. They now confessed and said, we've never heard that there's a Holy Spirit, not to talk of receiving him. And so Paul went on to explain to them. Let's read verse 3 now. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. He said John's baptism was to prepare the people to receive Christ. John even spoke about this Christ. So you need to receive him. This is the essence, this is the import of John's baptism. John's baptism ended after the Messiah appeared on the scene. In verse 5 it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which means they believed because nobody baptizes you in water if you don't believe. And this baptism is baptism in water. In verse 6, he says, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Again, we find here that those Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. So we see similarities here in the home of Cornelius and what transpired in Acts chapter 2, we see some things that did not happen in the other two that we just read, that happened only in Acts chapter 2. And that's why we could say that the sound from heaven, divided tongues, were probably a one-time event that the Lord wanted to happen as at that time. Like we said, the sound was to draw the attention of those who had gathered. But it was no longer something that was happening in these other cases. However, we find the speaking with tongues as an evidence happening. We find boldness taking place. We find prophecy. Let's use the word prophecy. Because that's what happened when Peter spoke an unprepared, unrehearsed sermon. It was prophecy. I must explain this to us. Prophecy in the New Testament goes beyond 
foretelling or prediction or saying what will happen in the future. Prophecy in the New Testament is essentially a forth telling, a speaking forth from the throne room of God, what God is saying and all the fellow is doing because he's now under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's repeating what God is saying. We become like a multimedia speaker where God becomes the fellow holding the microphone and speaking and the multimedia speakers are now amplifying and relaying what is being said from the person holding the microphone. The speakers are not likely to say anything different. But if the speakers are not clean, we may not hear what the fellow who is speaking is saying clearly. We may misunderstand what he's saying because of the noisiness of the speakers. But if the speakers are properly tuned and well maintained, we're going to hear what is being said clearly. And that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is God speaking through man from his throne room. It's not a man making up something. It is God speaking. Another part of prophecy is what happens when God shows you a picture and gives you understanding of it and says, now go and tell my people what it is. And that's where the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Some people now pick those things and begin to amplify beyond what God had told them. With that said, we discover, therefore, that the common thread in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19 concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit is essentially tongues. We also find prophecy and we also find boldness. In fact, when the apostles in Acts chapter 2 were speaking with tongues, what they were doing that people heard them say, they, they said they were declaring, they were prophesying the wonderful works of God. So essentially tongues and prophecy are one and the same thing. It's speaking forth from the throne room of God. Now, let me bring in Acts chapter 8, because that will also confirm, even though it's not explicitly stated, but there's something there that we're going to draw. Acts chapter 8, verse 14 to verse 18. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet... He had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about water baptism here. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. By the grace of God, I think in our next podcast, we'll talk about how we can receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, the Bible says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered money. In verse 19 it says, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the point I'm trying to draw out here is that while the Bible does not state explicitly that they spoke with tongues, or that there was boldness, or they prophesied, or anything like that, it is clear that something was observed by Simon the sorcerer that was happening to the people on whom the apostles were laying hands. On. And so he offered money that he can receive that same power so that when he lays hands on people, that thing that he has observed can happen. It probably was tongues, prophecy, and possibly boldness. He probably saw timid people standing and speaking. People who ordinarily would have been coward. They spoke with boldness. They prophesied with boldness. And these were things that he possibly saw. So what we are saying here is that there is the evidence, the physical, visible evidence when the Holy Spirit baptism takes place in the life of a believer. Now, the Christians in Corinth, like so many Christians today, became excited with tongues and laid so much emphasis on it and even went ahead in some cases to abuse tongues. 
I've seen people misbehave. In fact, I think there was one that was on social media some time back where two fellows said they were conversing in tongues. And you wonder where we get this madness. And because of tongues and its abuse, many Christians have come to believe that that is the sole evidence of Holy Spirit baptism. However, the Holy Spirit teaches differently. All we need to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do that, is to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. Read those three chapters, and it will give you insight into the kind of things that can happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But for our purpose, I'm going to read a few portions of the verse of Scripture as we go along and explain some things. Let me read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul wrote this, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit dictated this to Paul, and Paul penned it. So it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and I. The Holy Spirit is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning Holy Spirit baptism. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the outcome or the outflow or the result of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. When you were unbelievers, when you went to the shrines in your villages and to those idol places, somebody spoke to you and said, this is what the oracle is saying. But in the New Testament era, there is no go-between. It is us and God. There is no man who comes to stand and say, thus says the Lord to you. It can happen. But God is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. Don't be like those people who are taken to a dumb idol where it is what you are told that you do. That you don't even have a recourse to Almighty God. And I'm going to say this to us. There's nothing wrong in the Holy Spirit speaking to you through somebody. However, there's everything wrong in you swallowing what has been sold to you hook, line, and sinker. You must go and find out from the Holy Spirit himself, if it is from him. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts still about the Christians in Berea. He said these were of a nobler sort. They heard what Paul had said and then they went home and searched the scriptures to see if what Paul had said was so. So when somebody comes to speak to you and say, this is the word of God, I expect you to go back and study the word of God. That's why you are being told in so, so, and so place in the Bible, chapter this, verse this, the Bible says this. Sometimes we read it so that you can note it. That is the essence of your notes. Then you go home and study and prayerfully ask the Spirit of God, say, tell me, expound this scripture to me. Let's not be like those who were taken to dumb idols and just heard whatever was said and then went ahead and did it. In verse 3, it says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. Nobody can say, Jesus be damned, if he's speaking by the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is more than just mere words. This is talking about the act of recognizing Jesus as Lord. Except the Spirit of God is in that person, has come upon that person. He cannot live that way. So you cannot say things that are contrary to Christ if you are speaking by the Spirit of God. Neither can you act in defiance to the Lordship of Christ, except the Holy Spirit is not upon you. And that's what's been emphasized here. So there is the evidence that a person has the Spirit of God either within or upon him. The evidence is clear from here that he is not going to act in a manner that is contrary to Christ. Christ 
is the pivot, is the essence, is the exhibit that we look at. So that there are other evidence of the Holy Spirit baptism besides tongues. For example, in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Some easily observable things. Number one, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, he cannot sit still. We're not talking here of a rowdy fellow. No, we're talking of somebody who is going about and doing good. You become an evangelist. You don't go about being a busybody in other people's affairs and say the Holy Spirit is upon you. No, you're going about doing good, looking for people to speak the words of God to, to witness Christ to. And then you cannot but go about looking for people that you can bring healing or comfort to, people who are oppressed, that you can pray to God and say, Lord, heal this fellow. That is a sign that the Holy Spirit has come upon that person. It is part of the evidence. Like I said earlier, in Acts chapter 2, 14 and following, we talked about the boldness of Peter. The Bible says, you have not received the spirit of fear or a spirit of cowardness, but one of love, of a sound mind and of power. He's talking of, of boldness. There's a boldness when the spirit of God comes upon you. I am not talking of, like a man of God put it, bold face or being braggadocious. No, we are speaking of a boldness. It's not the kind of boldness that you use in abusing and insulting people. No, it's not the kind of boldness that makes you say things that are incongruent with the character of God. No, we are speaking here of a boldness where you see a timid person. He's standing and he's speaking in a crowd. There are people who normally would stammer, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they speak effortlessly. These are observable signs, evidence. That Spirit of God has come upon them. Then, like I said earlier, there's also prophecy. When they speak in tongues or not, even if they don't speak in other tongues, sometimes they begin to just speak the words of God. They're just speaking. They're prophesying, saying what God is saying and glorifying God at the same time. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come upon them. There was a man, William Seymour, in the early 20th century in Los Angeles, what is now known commonly as the Azusa Street Revival. This was an evangelist who did not speak in tongues for the first three years that God gave him the commission to teach on the Holy Spirit. But he taught others and they received the Holy Spirit, but he did not receive it. So the question is, how was he doing these things? Was he doing it by himself? Because he didn't speak in tongues. Was the Holy Spirit not with him? The Holy Spirit not come upon him. And when we look at the man, you had every cause to wave him away. He was black. He was blind in one eye and he didn't speak with tongues. Yet here was a man teaching, speaking with tongues. Teaching that when those people comes upon you, you speak in tongues. And he laid hands on people and they spoke in tongues. So how was he able to do it? By the power of the Holy Ghost. So even though he didn't speak in tongues, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit because he was serving God. Don't forget the key with Holy Spirit baptism is service. If God calls you into service and he wants you to serve him, even if you are not speaking with tongues, we will be able to recognize other things. That's happening in the life of that person. And we will know that this man is speaking or doing what he's doing by the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through to verse 10, the Bible says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. These are things that we are now talking about that will happen and we're going to expand on it as we go along later on. 
to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. It starts by saying, but the manifestation of the spirit or the coming upon of the spirit or the expression of the Holy Spirit, he says, is for every believer and is for the profit of all. So, some things here is that when the Holy Spirit baptism comes upon you, it's not for a selfish purpose. It's not for you to be using the gifts for your personal purpose. No, it's for all. Secondly, if you are a Christian and you are a standing believer, being sanctified, you have the call to serve God. You are saved to serve. You are not saved to just come and sit in the pews and somebody is speaking to you. And that is why Holy Spirit baptism comes in. So that you can serve God. But you cannot serve God in your present state as a man. You are only able to serve God as you are able to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So these things we see that it now begins to talk about. The manifestation, the things that we will see, the evidence that this is happening besides tongues. It talks about the word of wisdom. It talks about the word of knowledge. It talks about faith. Let me explain. Word of wisdom is a word from God that solves a problem. And you could never have known how to solve that problem except by the Spirit of God. The word of knowledge is a word from God that identifies a problem. So usually word of wisdom and word of knowledge act together. And word of knowledge gives you insight into something that you ordinarily would never have had insight about. It could be of the past. It could be of the present. It could be of the future. But it's knowledge that God is given to somebody. For example, somebody's going through something now and the Holy Spirit tells you this is what is causing this. And you can identify it and you know how to pray about it. Your prayer will result in the word of wisdom whilst word of knowledge is what elicited that prayer. Then you have faith. This is the ability to believe the impossible even when it is staring you in the eye. I've seen people who have spoken to men who are all decrepit and within minutes those men come home. The faith they had even they themselves would confess later that they never believed those people's lives could change. But there was this faith that was given to them. It was as though they had an extraordinary faith and they believed. And because they believed, it happened. When God wants to do a miracle, he needs us to believe. And when there is unbelief in our lives, God brings that gift of faith so that we can believe and he can do what he wants to do. Then there are the gifts of healings. The gifts are in plural as is the healings. So different gifts, different healing. There's the gift of speaking and the healing is done. There's the gift of laying hands and the healing is done. Different areas by which we can do those things. Then there's the walking of miracles. These are all the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. If somebody is walking miracles and is not speaking in tongues, it is still the Holy Spirit that is walking. So the fact that he's not speaking in tongues does not mean that he's not the Holy Spirit at work in his life. And it does not mean that he's not a believer. We've spoken of prophecy, one of the things mentioned here. Speaking forth, forthtelling, foretelling. Speaking as the Spirit of God gives utterance. Then you have discerning of spirits. Where you're able to discern what spirit is in operation in a particular place or in a particular meeting. And then there's the different kinds of tongues. You have tongues of angels and tongues of men. First Corinthians 13 verse 1 makes it clear to us. It says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels. So there are two different kinds of tongues. That of men and that of angels. Tongues of angels are usually the ones that we speak when we speak in tongues. But Essentially, when God wants to touch somebody who may not understand the language, but he wants to communicate to that person in a way that that fellow will know that God is speaking to him, he can get you to speak in that fellow's native language that you don't know. And the fellow will know that definitely this is the Holy Spirit speaking. Then there's the interpretation of tongues, where 
there's nobody who understands the tongue, yet God has to communicate it. And so there's the gift of interpretation of tongues where somebody can interpret it. So these things are the evidence. They are clear. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, these things will be evidently clear. These are things that a believer does by the Holy Spirit, not by practice, not by learning or by going to school. No, it is by the Spirit of God coming upon him that is able to do this. He doesn't learn them. Unfortunately today, many Christians sit down with tongues. Some others, miracles. Some others, healings. Some others say they want to prophesy and they just feel that by speaking, they're prophesying and they term that to be Holy Spirit baptism or they say this man is anointed. No, sadly, because of this wrong teaching and this wrong notion of what Holy Spirit baptism entails and the evidence of it, some have gone into error. I hear there are churches where they are teaching people to speak in tongues. The Bible tells us that it is as the Spirit of God gives utterance. You cannot teach it. You cannot teach somebody to speak in tongues. It comes by the Spirit of God. There are people who are now teaching others how to work miracles. You can't teach it. It is from the Spirit. If you are teaching it, you are in error. And if you are learning how to work miracles from a man, you are in error. It is something that the Spirit of God does. Where in the Bible did you see anybody being taught how to work miracles? Today we have healing schools. I don't know what those healing schools are really, quite frankly. Is it that they teach people how to heal? What is it for? It is unscriptural. It's unbiblical. And then we have school of prophecy. Where they say they're teaching you how to prophesy. How do you teach somebody how to prophesy? It is God who speaks. What is the role of the prophet then? The prophet is just to make sure that he is a clean vessel. Like these multimedia speakers. Just make sure that that speaker is able to replicate the voice of the fellow who is speaking through the microphone. So that all can hear audibly. So the role of the prophet is to be clean. Is to be holy. Is to be receptive to the spirit of God. To keep his spirit under self-control. These are the workings of the Spirit of God within. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I read from verse 28 to 30. It says, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak? With tongues, do all interpret. So you don't have to speak in tongues to show that you have the Holy Spirit baptism. Do we have the signs of a word of wisdom, of a word of knowledge, of faith, of miracles, of healings, of the sign of spirits, of prophecy, of interpretation of tongues? Do you manifest those things? You are baptizing the Holy Spirit. You may not be speaking with tongues now, but you would eventually. We are not supposed to take it like the Christians in Corinth thought that, oh, this is all that is to Holy Spirit baptism, tongues. No, Holy Spirit baptism is more than tongues. There are areas of service, areas of ministry. And if you don't need tongues, you may not speak in tongues for some time. It doesn't mean that this gift of the Holy Spirit is not upon you. You can still pray for the sick and they'll be healed. You can still give a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. You can give sound counsel. What is crucial is, are you born again? Are you being sanctified? Do you discover that the things you are doing is not in your strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are Holy Spirit baptized. It is not to subtract from the fact that you will speak in tongues. Tongues is good because it's the physical evidence that we have. But by faith, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And those things are evident. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 6, the Bible says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord is whom we are serving. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. So different gifts, different forms of ministry, and different ways by which God will bring those things to work. 
In Acts chapter 9, verse 17 to 20, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, that is Saul of Tarsus, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now this baptized here is talking of water baptism. The filling with the Holy Spirit is what brought about the falling of scales. His eyes opened. He received the sight. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Look at verse 20. He says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogue that he is the son of God. No mention is made here of Saul of Tarsus speaking with tongues. Yet we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul said, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. So he spoke with tongues. But here, there's no evidence that he spoke with tongues. Nothing is stated that he spoke with tongues, which Bible probably would have said. But one thing we find here in verse 20 is that immediately he began to bear witness of Jesus Christ, which is the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon a person. Immediately he began to bear witness about the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the Lord said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So even though Paul here is not recorded that he spoke with tongues, but one thing that is recorded is that he bore witness to Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Only by the Spirit of God can you do that. You cannot do that outside of the Spirit of God. If you did, you will struggle and nothing is going to happen. So let me conclude by noting that Holy Spirit baptism or the coming upon without the fruit of the Spirit, that is the influence of the Spirit of God within, profits nothing. If you have Holy Spirit baptism, but the fruit of the Spirit is missing in your life, there's no profit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3 says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, these are all manifestations of the Spirit of God, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love is the epitome of the nature of God formed in a man. In Galatians 5, 23, when he speaks of the gifts of the Spirit, he talks of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and so on and so forth. The fruit of the Spirit. Love epitomizes all the other things. And here we're speaking of the love of God in men. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. This love makes us love God, it makes us love all men, and it makes us love the things of God. Without this love, speaking in tongues doesn't mean anything. Prophecy doesn't mean anything. Miracles doesn't mean anything. If it is not there, your Holy Spirit baptism doesn't mean anything. Which is why God is more interested in your sanctification than he is in Holy Spirit baptism. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants you to serve, but God wants you to serve as a clean vessel. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 20, 21, that tells us that if a man sanctifies himself, then he will become a vessel of honor, fit for the master's use. And that's what God is looking for. God wants you to serve, yes, but he doesn't want you to serve as a filthy person. He wants you to serve as a holy person. So he is key, as far as he's concerned, is the influence within. But you see, we cannot speak of the influence upon if we don't speak of the influence within. That is why we are speaking of the two, but we are not elaborating on it. We want you to know 
that you must be born again and be sanctified and being sanctified. Otherwise, you're rushing into Holy Spirit baptism when you are not clean will profit you nothing. You might even go to hell. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. It's not calling Lord, Lord that is key. What is important as far as God is concerned is that we are doing his will. He says on the last day, many people will come and say to me, but we preach in your name. We prophesy in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We brought deliverance in your name. We did this in your name. He said, but I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who walk lawlessness. Why? The spirit within, they were not sanctified. And they were trying to do those great works out of wrong motives, fame, fill the locker. That's money and so many other things. And they missed out. The focus must be on the influence of the Spirit of God within you. So that when he comes upon you, your service is not just going to be approved. It's going to be profitable to you in eternity. The essence of Holy Spirit baptism is so that together with the Holy Spirit, we can prosecute the agenda of God on the earth. Remember Matthew chapter 6 verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. God wants us to do his will. Remember, when the Spirit of God comes within you, he makes us willing to do his will. But when he comes upon us, he energizes us to do that will. Willingly. He doesn't want to force you to do his will. He wants you to do it with joy, with gladness, and willingly. The Bible says that the gift that we bring to God is acceptable if the first is a willingness. In John chapter 17, verse 15 to 21, the Bible tells us about the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ before he went to the cross. He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world as disciples, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, but just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes... I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that is us today, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. What is he saying there? The goal is not a trinity, but a quartet, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the church walking in unison to bring about the will of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible speaks of a sanctification by the Spirit unto obedience. If we are disobedience, this unity, this walking together in one purpose and one mind will not take place. You will recall in Acts chapter 2, they were all in one place, in the same mind, in the same location, when the Spirit of God came upon them. In Amos 3, 3 the Bible says, can two walk together except that they be agreed? The two are God as one party and the church as the second party or Christians as the second party. Not two Christians necessarily, but the Christian, the church of God and God. We don't see that today. And that's why we are not seeing the miracles that we heard of before. We are not seeing the work of the Spirit of God through the church today. We are just seeing smartings here and there. And I think it's in verse 7 where the Bible says that surely the sovereign Lord will do nothing except he first reveal it to his servants, the prophets. There are people that God wants to reveal things to. So when we are chasing after money, chasing after, what is the goal? God wants the church to come to the place where we are cooperating with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one doing the work effortlessly through us, provided we are cleansed, provided we are clean, provided we are willing and voluntarily submitting ourselves to Him. And He uses us to do the work of God and become a blessing to the world. Brethren, I leave you with this thought. Your baptism in the Holy Ghost is to bring you to divine service that is profitable to you in heaven, profitable to all who receive of it. You become the hands 
of God. You become the heart of God here on the earth. You become the doer of the will, the executor of the will of God, the counsel of God on the earth. By reason of the Holy Spirit baptism, it is more than tongues. It is much more than coming upon and shaking us. The influence of the Spirit of God in our hearts, making us pure, is also important. So my prayer is that we'll focus a lot more on character building, even as we await the coming upon of the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God has already come upon us, we will spend more time on the nature of God, being in conformity with Christ. And these things, the coming upon, will be a natural process. God bless you.